0: Welcome to the Dr. Frank-Avilla Show. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Frankavilla, board-certified family physician and diplomate of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I've been helping patients lose weight to treat and prevent medical problems for the last 10 years, and I'm taking what I've learned from them to you. In this podcast, you will learn the science behind why you struggle with your weight and what to do about it, tips for common challenges, work to fight bias about what a healthy weight really is, and improve your relationship with food and your body. Please remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. This podcast is meant to be informational and nature only, not medical advice. Please seek out care from your physician for your specific needs. Okay, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. I do have a guest with us today. I have Dr. Becky Lynn. She is a gynecologist specializing in menopause, weight loss, and sexual problems in women. Her practice is Evora Women's Health, which is in St. Louis, and her mission is to empower women to lead healthy lives. She is a North American Menopause Society certified physician. So she is a menopause expert. She's a diplomate of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. So she's an obesity expert like me, and she is also a certified sexual counselor. So Thank you so much for joining me today, Becky.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So usually I like to jump into how you got involved in all of this, but I find there's so much misunderstanding of menopause. In case someone thinks this episode doesn't apply to me, I'm not going to go through menopause, I'm a guy, or I'm not going through menopause for a long time, or I've already been through menopause, I want to talk about what exactly menopause is so if nothing else, Everyone knows what menopause is because I find there is so much confusion in the general public about what it is. And then we'll get to some of those other fun details. But what is menopause?
1: Sure. So basically, we define menopause by uh, when a woman goes a year without periods, when she's in her 40s or early 50s, then we can say you're through the menopause. But what is actually happening is your ovaries stop ovulating. There's ovarian follicular depletion. So there's not any eggs left to release each month. And with that comes a drop in your hormones, the the two main hormones, estrogen and progesterone. But I do think we do a really poor job of educating women about menopause or what that is. And especially the symptoms of menopause, the classic ones like hot flashes, night sweats, Because the symptoms of menopause start before your last period. We talk about, oh, you're through the menopause, you have hot flashes, but you can have hot flashes before your period stop when you're in the, what we call the perimenopause. So it's definitely confusing to some women. Yes. Okay. Great. We need to educate more. Yes.
0: And that's why you're here today. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Dr. Lynn, you mentioned perimenopause. So we said, okay, menopause is you haven't had a period in a year what is this perimenopause? Because I do feel like there is starting to be a lot more talk about this. I feel like 10 years ago, no one talked about perimenopause. So what is perimenopause? Sure.
1: It's a couple of years before your last menstrual period. So there's, there's a medical definition of what exactly it is. But really, for our purposes, it's just a couple of years before your last period. So the average age of menopause of the last period is 51. So usually it's 47, for 48, 49, going into that age 51. But not everybody obviously stops their periods at age 51. It can people can menstruate up to their late 50s, they can stop their periods early 40s. Um, but in general, it's that time before the last menstrual period, usually a couple of years.
0: Awesome. Okay. Thank you for clearing all that up because again, I think so much confusion. So Now we'll do the the chit chat thing. So how did you get involved in all this? Why did you get involved in obesity medicine, helping people lose weight? How did you get involved in treating menopause? Tell us a little bit about your story.
1: Sure. So I did my residency. I finished in 2003 and I worked in a inner city hospital and we, I was an OBGYN. So did lots of labor and delivery, did lots of surgery, started in a community hospital after residency. And really, I started with sexual medicine. I got asked several times a day, what can I do about my low libido or sex is painful? What should I do about that? And I realized I didn't know anything about sexual function in women because unfortunately, it wasn't focused on, it wasn't taught in residency. I took it upon myself to find some courses and did some courses, ended up doing a preceptorship, learned all about sexual health. And as as you can imagine, a lot of the problems that happen like low libido, vaginal dryness, leading to painful sex show up in menopause. So I ended up seeing a lot of menopausal women. So then I'm just like a crazy lifelong learner. I always want to absorb as much as I can. I decided to become involved with the North American Menopause Society and became a certified uh, physician through them. And as logical next step, we see so many problems with weight gain around the time of menopause. And before I opened Evora, when I I was in academics for a long time, I always felt like women asked me what to do about gaining weight. And I was unknowingly of the eat less, exercise more faction. which because I didn't learn any difference until I got into obesity medicine, but when I left academics and I had more time, that's when, I, that's when I joined the Obesity Medicine Association and learned so much about how to help women lose weight. And I absolutely love doing it. It's, it just makes me so happy when I see how happy women can be when they're losing weight.
0: I love it. It's, it's so interesting. That's been so many physicians story that have joined me on the podcast. they like, I didn't know any better. And then I discovered all this education. Yep. And for any listener out there who has not sought the care of an expert, It is a mind-blowing experience, I think, for most patients to see what we have to offer when it comes to care around weight. There's so much we can do, so much that we do additional training to learn it. And most of the doctors are so happy to do it, right? Like you're like, oh, I just love it. It really is changing people's lives so much for the better. I love how consistent that messaging is from physicians who do this, that we really love helping people in this way and that we do have so many tools. And that so many of us have to find this long journey to obesity medicine, right? Where you're like, something isn't adding up here. What did I not learn in medical school? Thank you for sharing all that. And yeah, like really you, you go into depth on everything. You're not going to just do the shallow version. You're like, nope, I'm going to do the menopause certification. I'm going to do a preceptorship in sexual health. I'm going to get my, Mm -hmm. uh, my diplomate in, in obesity medicine. So... In terms of that relationship between weight and menopause, can you tell us more about what that is what can, and what we can do about it? Sure. So I see a lot of women,
1: late 40s, early 50s, who are really struggling with their weight. Maybe they're perimenopausal. Maybe they've gone a whole year with periods. But, but I find that there's this constellation of symptoms of things that are going on that I think are unique to menopause. So maybe they're having hot flashes, nights, but so they're not sleeping. So they've really disrupted sleep, which leads to excess weight gain. It makes them have brain fog. It makes them tired in the morning. They're unmotivated to go work out or go for a walk or anything like that. And then they feel depressed because they're gaining weight. They feel horrible. They're not sleeping. And it's like this downward spiral of feeling horrible and gaining weight And I think a lot of women don't realize the connection between not sleeping and weight gain. And although when you lose your hormones, part of weight gain around this time, some of it is aging, natural aging, and some of it is the changes in hormones. Hormones, estrogen can help improve how your insulin works. So there's a, a relationship there. Although I see a lot of women who come in and say, I want to lose weight. Can you give me hormones? And I spend a lot of time saying hormones are not weight loss medicine. It's a lot more complicated than that. Although they do play a role as your estrogen levels go down, you're at higher risk for developing insulin resistance and other things that can contribute to weight gain.
0: Yeah. So I love that you hit on insulin resistance. I talk about it in one of my earlier podcast episodes, but I think great time to revisit what exactly that is. So I've seen it as every cell in your body needs sugar to run on. And the way the sugar gets into your cell is with insulin. But what happens for some people, there's lots of probably different triggers. Some of it's genetic, probably things in the environment. Menopause is definitely a time where we see this happen, right? Your cells don't listen as well to that insulin. And so your body has to pump more and more of this insulin out. And the insulin then leads to trouble losing weight, and it makes it easier to gain weight. You're just not very good at burning fat when you have all that extra insulin around. And it seems to disrupt appetite for a lot of people too, right? Instead Mm -hmm. of responding appropriately and being like, oh, my body can't deal with sugar very well, most people seem to start we're eating more sugar, yeah. and having more trouble with appetite regulation when they're in this insulin resistant state. So this insulin resistance is a huge thing that we see for for people in general who are struggling with weight. And I had that same experience early on where I was like, "What is happening in menopause? Like, why is this such a consistent story that my patients, often who never struggled before with their weight, struggle all of a right. sudden?" And I was like, "Oh, it's the insulin resistance." So I'm mm-hmm. I'm so glad you covered that because it's something that sometimes seems really sudden during menopause, like someone who didn't have it. And then all of a sudden they no longer can tolerate sugar and carbohydrates as well with that insulin resistance.
1: And the one thing I think is really important about insulin resistance is that it's not part of routine screening. So I'll see women and they're like, I'm not diabetic. My hemoglobin A1C is fine. I don't have diabetes. I should be fine. But no, we'll usually test insulin and a glucose, plug it into the home IR to see if they have insulin resistance. And I can't tell you how happy sometimes people are to be like, oh my gosh, you found something. You believe me. I'm not overeating. I'm exercising like crazy and I can't lose weight. And sometimes we find that insulin resistance and people are like, why didn't anybody check that? But I don't fault anybody for not checking it because You need to end up with a physician who understands the weight loss process. It it really isn't a a standard test, test. right?
0: If your doctor hasn't checked your insulin level, it's not that they're not doing their job. It's just that some of us who specialize in weight know that's a test that can really help us understand what's going on for patients and and prove that insulin resistance that we know is going on is actually going on. But I have the exact same story for my patients where they're like, my blood sugar was fine. And really right. what happens is your insulin is high for years, if not decades, before the blood sugar was thought to be high. So we're just looking for it too late for many people before right. we see that's going on. Okay. So then what do you generally recommend someone does for these things? Which was, I uh, talked about sleep. We talked about insulin resistance. What other things mm-hmm. did I miss? So sleep, insulin resistance, what else is going on in menopause, I guess, that, that makes it so hard to lose weight or Mm makes women start gaining weight?
1: Loss of muscle mass. I think that's huge. As women age, we naturally lose muscle and muscle burns more calories than fat at rest. So your metabolic rate is naturally going to slow down as you age, unless you do strength training or resistance training. And I'm in the menopausal age range. I grew up in the era of Cardio, that's how you lose weight. You got to run a marathon, you got to do aerobics and things like that. And I think a lot of the women who are menopausal now are really set on that cardio. But really strength training is where it's at because if you're a more muscular person, your resting metabolic rate is going to be higher. So I tell my patients, even when you're sleeping, when you're sitting at your desk, you're burning more calories if you're a more muscular person. And not to mention all the other benefits of strength training, like it's good for your bones and then helps prevent falls as you age. So strength training is another thing. Women start to lose muscle and women's testosterone starts. I definitely focus on strength training.
0: Yes. My full last episode is about strength training on them. And I think there's also a big, a lot of talk right now about strength training. It feels like that is something people are talking about more for longevity, but I think it is especially that, key for women as we age because it gets harder and harder to keep our muscle mass. And then for our bone health right that's something that we all have bones that are weakening over time as women and one of the big things we can do to preserve our bone health is that strength training where our muscles pull on our bones they literally are making them stronger okay so loss of muscle mass and we can solve that by by stimulating our muscles to grow with strength training do you have any go-to recommendation for strength training? Because I think that can be a little intimidating for women. They're like, what sort do I need to go use those weight machines? What am I supposed to do? Do you have any recommendations that you start with for your patients?
1: Yeah, so it definitely depends on the woman. Because sometimes I see women who go to the gym all the time. They know how to use the machines or they go take classes or they do orange theory. And I also see women who don't do any strength training, never have done strength training. And the last thing that I want is for them to get hurt, to do it incorrectly. And I'm also of the mindset, start small, set small goals, just a little bit of strength training. So it really depends on the person. We do in my office, we have a small gym and we have personal trainers in my office. When women want to do that, we have that for them. I love it because they're really, our strength trainers, our personal trainers are really focused on that perimenopause, menopause time, as opposed to a 20-year-old man who's trying to build a whole bunch of muscles and have a six-pack. That's not the population or the group of patients that our trainers are used to working with. And I love it also because especially for women who've never been to a gym or done anything like that, it can be really intimidating to just go to a gym where everyone knows what they're doing and they're all in their teeny weeny little Lululemon outfits. And that's tough. Not everybody can do that. Not everybody can afford a personal trainer. Um, So I do have a list of YouTube videos that I actually got from the evidence-based obesity medicine uh, Facebook group um, with very simple exercises um, that I will give to patients to do.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So real, I love what you said. And we talked about this on a previous episode where it starts small, right? If you are, have not done strength training in a long time or ever have done it, like start small, start safe, and it all adds up. And sometimes when you're new to it, you see the biggest rewards because mm-hmm. um, your muscles just thrive on that new sort of movement. Okay. So going back to sleep disruption, what are mm-hmm. some of the solutions? Because like you said, you get the brain fog. We know that sleep is really important for weight control and appetite control um, and just feeling good. So what mm-hmm. are some of the solutions for women who are struggling with sleep?
1: So what I first do is try and figure out why they're struggling with sleep. So is it hot flashes that are waking them up? Is this a new thing that's gone on in perimenopause, menopause? If, do they need hormones or something else to treat their hot flashes so they can sleep? If they're going to go the hormonal route, if they have a uterus, we generally use progesterone with estrogen and Prometrium helps with sleep. So I love using Prometrium. Um, And it also has not been linked to breast cancer. So that's typically my progesterone of choice. But by the same token, if you are overweight or if you have obesity, you're at higher risk for sleep apnea. So I'm asking about snoring. Do you ever stop breathing in the middle of the night? I ask about restless legs. I ask about... Do you wake up and you start to worry about things? So I feel like it's really important to, to do a thorough assessment of why they're not sleeping. So that way you can figure out how to treat them best so they can get to sleep. And sometimes I, I can't find anything. And so I'll just send them for a, to, to see a special Greek doctor, a specialist.
0: Yeah. And I I love that because I think that really is the sign of an expert, right? You're digging in deeper. And if you can't find an explanation, then you're like, let's see someone who's really truly a sleep expert, which is out there. I've been bugging a certain sleep expert to come join the podcast. So hopefully they'll be on That would be great. (laughs) And then insulin resistance, do you have, what are some of the the tools that that you will utilize for Mm -hmm. that? Yeah.
1: So it definitely depends on the patient, how much weight they have to lose, what their ultimate goals are. When I talk to patients about weight loss, we talk a lot about diet and exercise. I bring up weight loss medicines and some people I see are at their wits end. They're like, I've tried everything. Please give me a medicine. I can't lose weight. Other people are like, just give me some guidance. I don't want any medicines. And even weight loss in and of itself without medicines can improve insulin sensitivity and exercise can do that too. So it's not like if you have insulin resistance that you have to be on a medicine. But if we do choose medicines, I will say my medicine, my go-to medicines for especially with people with for people with insulin resistance are the GLP-1 agonists, Mounjaro, Wegovy, Ozempic, Saxendviktoza. And I don't work for those companies, but I have seen great Great success. I'm sure you have too. Oh yeah, um, I mean, have- oh, I'm,
0: just, I'm hoping we can get more people access to them because they really yes. are amazing yes. tools.
1: So that would be my choice. Now, if somebody, if their insurance doesn't cover it or they just can't get it because now there's like a shortage, sometimes I'll use Metformin. And I always explain Metformin's not a weight, it's not FDA approved for weight loss. It's not really a weight loss medicine. It can improve your insulin sensitivity. And some people do lose weight on metformin, but often I'll combine it with bentramine if they don't have any contraindications. Yes, we, we too. I, I like that like...
0: combo a lot. Bentramine-Metformin yes. is a great combo for people who can't take or, or aren't able to get the newer injectable medications. And the way I'll describe Metformin to my patients is it levels the playing field. So if you have that insulin resistance, you can be doing all the right things and it's really hard to lose weight. Um, but the metformin makes the efforts pay off more. So the nutrition plan, the exercise, it works better when you don't have these really high levels of insulin at the metformin. But like you said, it's not very dramatic in terms of weight loss. So I described it just levels the playing field. It, it doesn't do anything super dramatic, but it, it lets your body respond a little more normally. Okay. What else? Anything else that we didn't cover on that relationship between weight gain during menopause. The only other thing I could think of is depression
1: and anxiety are common. So if you really get depressed, there can be a lack of motivation. So it's very hard to motivate yourself to get up and move and stick to a plan. And, you know, that we just see more depression and anxiety show up around the time of menopause. So perimenopause, menopause. And then women who've had depression, and anxiety, it can get worse around the time of menopause or they can have new onset panic attacks. Yeah. It's just that vicious downward cycle that we have to break.
0: I'm going to ask you about something that we didn't talk about at all. Uh, but tell me if you've sure. i seen, and I've, I've read some on this too, that some women's ADHD symptoms also will become worse or Absolutely. during menopause. Do you see that as well? So,
1: okay. so when a woman comes in and says, I have brain fog, I ask, What does that mean to you? What is that? What are your symptoms? And some people say lack of ability to concentrate. I can't get tasks. Done. Like they start describing ADHD to you, and yes, that definitely shows up around this time. Okay, for because that's, sure.
0: that's what I've seen clinically for my patients. Yes. Today, quite a little. bit. times that sort of is a trigger or it worsens. You feeling okay with ADHD symptoms all your life, and then all of a sudden menopause comes around, and that sort of little bit of scattered turns into just this complete brain fog, lack of concentration. All right. Thanks for mm-hmm. making me feel like um, I'm not crazy and making that. You're up, not, not crazy. For my, for I, my I it all the time. Oh, okay. So tell me about hormone testing. We see so much right now on the internet. Everyone seems to be told that they need to get their hormones tested. Tell me about hormone testing and menopause. Yes.
1: Okay. Yes. I would agree with you. If you go to the internet, there's a lot of good information and there's a lot of very wrong information. Depends on where you are in the menopause, whether or not you need lab tests someone comes to me and they said that their last period was five years ago and they want their hormones checked, I don't need to check their hormones to know that they're going to be low. They're low. That's what menopause means, that your ovaries aren't making those hormones anymore. In the perimenopause, most of the time, not always, there are certain instances, most of the time you don't need your hormones checked either because when women's hormones fluctuate throughout the month and fluctuate throughout the day, So a woman may come in and say, I'm having terrible hot flashes, terrible night sweats. Can you please check my hormones? I already know she has parts of her day and parts of her month where her estrogen is low because that's what causes 99% of the time hot flashes and night sweats. And you might check a lab and it comes back normal. So I often see people who come to me and they're like, I feel awful. I'm not sleeping. I have hot flashes and my labs are normal. And I'm like, yep. i going to be normal, but you still can feel horrible and you're still perimenopausal and I know your estrogen is low. I think, and I feel like on the internet, people are always talking about, you got to get your hormones checked. And I know there's places I've had women come to me with a book this thick of hormones I've never heard of. And they say, tell me what to do about this. And I'm like, Oh, you didn't really need all of those. We can, we treat the person not the lab value. So we I treat love that. The person.
0: Okay. That is, that should be the quote right there. We treat the person, yeah. not the lab value. So if you are were to you all the symptoms of perimenopause or menopause, like it looks like a duck, it sounds like a duck, it's a duck. We're going to treat this. Exactly. We don't need to prove it with blood work. We know that's what's going on. That's clinical knowledge and and so thank you for clearing that up because I think that sure. there is a lot of women who are are getting these tests that they they just don't need to get in order to access treatment for their symptoms.
1: And with that, I think it's important to point out that there's no data to support this Dutch test. I don't know if they're doing that where you are, which is dried urine hormone testing. There is no data to support that. And I even went to PubMed to look it up for myself to see. And women are being charged a fair amount of money, and the Dutch test is worthless. And same with salivary testing for hormone levels. The saliva, the, the level, of hormones depends on, depend on so many different things. So the standard of care is blood work if you do need to look at a hormone level.
0: And someday maybe we will be able to zone in and do more testing and have more information available and and tailor these things more. But like you, I think that we just don't have any of the evidence right now that shows that that's where we're at. So I'm hopeful that maybe in the next 10 years, just that's a great timeline. I think that we could figure out some more of the nitty gritty around this. But right now we don't need to to do all these things to be able to treat menopause. So thank you. I I appreciate that. Because sometimes I feel like I'm in my own crazy world right here. You're not. Did I miss a memo? Mm -hmm. Did I miss a day of med school? Was there like an update I missed? So thank you. And I think that's really helpful information for our listeners. You touched a little bit on hormone replacement. Can you talk a little bit mm-hmm. about the role of hormone replacement, what some of the benefits yeah. can be, and also what some of the risks are, and maybe even some of the risks that we've heard about that, that maybe have not actually played out to be as concerning as we thought, too?
1: Here's my story, what I typically tell patients. In the 1990s, we thought hormones were the greatest things since sliced bread. Everybody got put on a formulation called Prempro, which was a combination of estrogen and progesterone. And the we thought that it lowered your risk of cardiovascular disease. So the National Institutes of Health paid for a really big study called the Women's Health Initiative. They gave some people Prem Pro, they gave some people Premarin alone, which is estrogen alone, and some people placebo. And they ended up stopping that study early because they found an increased risk for blood clot, heart attack, stroke, and breast cancer. And that got all of the media attention. But As time went on, they broke down the data by age range, so 50 to 59, 60 to 69, and 70 to 79. And in that 50 to 59-year-old age range, or within 10 years of their last menstrual period, there was a decreased risk of heart disease, no increased risk for stroke, and a decreased risk of dying from anything. And so now we look at hormones as there's this window of opportunity where the benefits are huge and the risks are small. When it comes to breast cancer, when it comes to estrogen, women in the estrogen-only arm of that study actually had a decreased risk of breast cancer. Women in the, with estrogen and progesterone together, projectin in the form of provera had an increased risk. So we think it's the provera. And now other studies have confirmed that synthetic progesterone, so progesterones that are highly potent, super strong progesterones, they're typically associated with an increased risk for breast cancer. But prometrium, um, which is a bioidentical, and I'll explain what that is in a minute, has not been associated with that increased risk of breast cancer. So I will typically choose prometrium. So bioidentical just means it's the same chemical structure as your own ovaries make. And there's compounded bioidenticals and there's FDA-approved bioidenticals. And when it comes to hormones that where there is an FDA-approved option, I will always choose the FDA-approved option. So I typically use a product called Prometrium and then I'll use Estradiol either in a patch or I tend to use a product called Bijuva because the risks, the main risk with estrogen is the increased risk for blood clot. And so we think that with the patch, the risk for blood clot is either no increased risk or a very small increased risk. And with Bijuva in their clinical trials, they didn't measure... PE or DBT, but they looked at the increase in clotting factors, and there was no difference between women who got Biduba and women who got placebo. So it didn't increase the clotting factors. And it also didn't affect the lipid profile, which is another thing that we are sometimes concerned with, with an oral est- estradiol pill.
0: Oh my gosh. Didn't what a wealth of information. Question? I love it. No, that one's fantastic. I'm like taking notes here too. I'm like, okay. And this is great. <laughs> I think in summary, like early on, There's probably benefits for most women. If they need hormone replacement, they're only going to get health benefits. Some of the scary harms that we started to hear about, we've realized are are pretty low, especially if we're selective about which options we use, which women who already don't have additional risk factors are, are taking them. And again, using them early on, we just overall see that there's pretty, pretty little risk. It's the, the 70, 80-year-old women who maybe should not take these medications forever.
1: And definitely not get started on them in your 60s and 70s. So one thing I'll do is if I'm not so sure about somebody's heart disease risk is I'll get a coronary artery calcium scan. And then that's reassuring if let's say they're on that borderline, like their last period with 10 years ago, maybe they have high cholesterol. I'm not so sure. I'll get a CAC. Yeah, yes, there's already some,
0: some calcium buildup there if there is that heart risk. Yes. Thank you so much. I think this has been a wealth of information. Any final yeah. thoughts that you wanted to make sure we covered before we wrap up here?
1: No, I'm just, I'm really grateful for being here because I, I think that finding the right information about menopause and perimenopause is so important. I guess one thing I do want to add is that North American Menopause Society, which just recently changed its name to the Menopause Society, is an excellent resource for women. And it's really easy to remember the website. It's menopause.org. Menopause.org. Yes. You know you're getting legitimate information that's evidence-based. They're not trying to sell you something behind the scenes. It's
0: excellent information. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And if women or others want to connect with you, where can they find you? Mm -hmm.
1: Sure. So our website is EvoraWomen.com. Evora is E-V-O-R-A. I am licensed in Missouri, Tennessee, and Illinois. I have, we have, Evora has an Instagram at Evora Women's Health. And Mm -hmm. our Facebook is also at Evora Women's Health. I have a an MD Instagram and Facebook, which is Becky Lynn MD. And I am also on TikTok at Dr. Becky Lynn. And we have awesome. that too. So and yes, we will going try so to get all
0: of that as well as menopause.org into the show notes. Yes. Thank you Perfect. so much for joining me on this podcast. I know I'm going to be sharing this episode with uh, some of my patients when they have these questions. I love this as a resource. So thank you so much for joining me. And until next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to The Dr. Frank Show, where we learn about all things related to weight and health. If you love this podcast, make sure to leave those five-star reviews and share this podcast with a friend or loved one. If you have a topic about weight and health you want me to tackle, head over to the website, thedrfrankavilashow.com, to submit your question. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode. Take care. Thank you